Lord, anoint me with your spirit. And may the words of my mouth and in meditation be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Savior and Redeemer. Amen. Today I focus on a topic that again is close to our heart in the theme of revival in the Christian life. Many times we speak about a revival of what? Through godliness. However, and not too many times when we <coughs> focus on primitive godliness. What is primitive godliness? And so I have done some reflection and some studying and some praying. And uh, it's absolutely fascinating. Because in our near future, we will see the greatest revival of what? Primitive godliness since apostolic times. The scriptures focus on the final revival in the book of Revelation. You find there the uh, 18th chapter. After all the calamities that have come because of the wickedness of planet Earth, we find there in chapter, Revelation chapter 18, verse 1. And after these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. Not in the corner, here and there. No, the Holy Spirit power then illuminates every section of this earth. And then what does he do? He cries with a might, mightily, with a loud voice. He is the loud cry. The loud cry. And that is only when there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But this is a cry. The last cry by Jesus to a planet that is nearly finished in its course in history. And that is a cry of love, compassion. And yet what is it? It is. Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison of every foul spirit, a cage for every unclean and hateful bird. And then it shows the fornication of the woman, Babylon, with the kings of the earth. And as a result, this planet is doomed. But... God has children in Babylon. Keep it in mind. And God says, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, or lest you receive of her plagues. So God's spirit moves God's people. And unless they accept his message, they perish. Her sin have reached to heaven. And God has remembered her iniquities. You know, friends, will you be a part of that final movement? Will you? I hope so. Are you looking forward to the time to obtain the greatest, most powerful blessings? Are you? Are you? Yes. But today, I say don't look forward. 
but look backward to obtain it. Now, how is this? Let me explain this. Because what is now primitive godliness? What will this revival be? The pen of inspiration has given his insight, light from the spirit of prophecy. Before the final visitation of God's judgment upon the earth, there will be among the people of the Lord such a revival of what? Primitive godliness as has not been witnessed since apostolic time. The spirit and power of God will be poured out upon his children. But will you be a part of it? In other passages, he says, hey, it will come upon us. And some of us will think that this is fanaticism. Can you imagine God's power to be interpreted in the opposite way? Why do the people do it? They thought they are okay, like the Pharisees. But it was just the opposite. What they should applaud it and, 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 and raise their hands to heaven for this phenomenon, they say it is fanaticism. Fanaticism. So what is a revival of primitive godliness? What is it? Do we like the word primitive? Yeah. Think about it. Be honest. Who likes to be primitive? Yeah. Third world, but not here. <laughs> Absolutely not. A definition, and there are many definitions, and I looked uh, yesterday, and, uh, you know, archaic. Now, who likes to be archaic? Now, basic passes. Earliest and early, yeah, you know, that, that is okay. Elementary, old, primeval, primal, primeval, primordial, undeveloped, undeveloped. Uh, no, this is not something what we look forward to. We rather like to talk about the revival of true godliness. And we talked about this yesterday. It focused specifically on, on the changes that need place in the interior, in the heart. And that's important. Now we look more in the outward manifestation. It is the what comes in and goes out. The primitive dimension of our faith. And in a climate, in a target audience that is highly sophisticated, highly educated, and if you have a doctorate, you qualify more for positions like here than if you don't have it. It's true. If you have special problems in the church, you want to have the specialist address this. Right? The ones who know the Old Testament, the ones who know the Old New Testament, the ones who know the theology. But what about our common, common people? Ah, you are the staff. You know, the supporter staff. You help. But the spotlight is on those who know. And yet, in spite of the tremendous knowledge that we have, in spite of what we look at it, you take then the scholarly community, and on certain issues, they are diametrically opposed. The same issue, the same hermeneutical principles, and yet, 180 degrees difference. Maybe we need to look and listen to the common people. They may have common sense. Think about it. 
And so this is something that I have been reflecting upon. And I am preaching just as much to myself as to others. Because in this final revival, the spirit of prophecy mentioned, that are not so much the people who are trained in literary institutions, but they are common people from all walks of life that have no inhibition. They are not worried what their peers will say because they don't have peers. They go after it. Like many of the early pioneers. Like the fishermen. None of the Sanhedrin people wanted to offer Jesus. And the one who wanted to catch some information did it by night. Friends, we have to lose our inhibitions and focus on what is primitive godliness. And so, those terms that we have defined, many look at that word as having a negative connotation. But that is not always so if you are reading church history and talked about primitive Christianity and primitive, that is the primitive church. Now, what is the primitive church? It is the church of the New Testament in its earliest beginnings. And we know what happened to the church over time. Paul already warns us about the mystery of iniquity, the man of sin, and all those things. And he sets himself up in the temple of God. All those things the early church expected in the future. There's the Antichrist coming in the future. Let us pray that the Roman Empire will still exist and continue, even if we are persecuted, because after the fall of the Roman Empire, things get worse. Now we look back for it, and we see what happened when the church fell and departed from its primitive godliness. And so you can then revival movements. In fact, the whole Protestant Reformation is a quest to go back to the early church. And then when the Protestant Reformation detoured, again, movements arose to go back, back, back to the early church. Restoration movements. And so it was in the time of William Miller, 18th century. There it was. In the 19th century, it was clearly seen that Protestant Christianity had departed and there were people who dared to say, let us go back. Back to the Bible, not to the theologies of the scholars. We don't need to hear from the pulpit the Greek and the Hebrew and the Latin. Oh, it impresses us, you know, with the education. And I mean, you go to a seminary, you get your MDiv. The people should at least know that you study Greek and Hebrew. Friends, how easily we put up barriers, barriers, barriers. Instead of taking away. Now, some of those people, what they do is they remove the pulpit. And there are the actors. The Protestant Reformation, very interestingly, put in their church architecture the pulpit in the center as the word of God needs to be proclaimed with full force from the scriptures. And then, yes, this is called the primitive church, the church of the New Testament. And let us now look here what we can discover for our own experience about Christ 
and primitive godliness. Matthew 18, verse 1 through 4. Let us turn in our Bibles. And at that time, the Holy Writ says, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You see what was in their mind. And not until the end of their life, until the end when Christ died, they were converted. And Jesus called a little child to him and set him before in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You see how Jesus' perspective is totally different from anyone else. In fact, here Christ swept away the erroneous theories of every great. No one save the world's redeemer had power to present the truth in its what? Primitive purity. Divested from all error that Satan has accumulated to hide the heavenly beauty. Review and Herald, January 7, 1890. And you know, don't you think that, uh, that when Christ came, Satan took a backward stage? Absolutely not. And that's what the prophecies are all about, about Daniel and everything. The whole scenario of the apostasy and Satan's triumph. But God has always a remnant. The remnant is there. And the remnant tries to find out primitive godliness. The primitive faith. Not the highly sophisticated, complete, complicated dimension. Now keep in mind to whom, and this this morning, the Lord woke me up at five o'clock and he says, this needs to be shared with the people. And so this is, you know, I mean, my things are hot off the press. They are not regurgitated, you know, whatever. And oh yeah, you know, no, no. And so here, here it comes. The target audience of scripture now. And I think this is a comfort to many of you, maybe not all, but because the Bible was designed for the common people. The interpretation given by the common people, when aided by the Holy Spirit, accords best with the truth as it is in Jesus. What do you say? You know, that is some. Now, if we want to say that the scholars are out, no, absolutely not. See, another statement is for the common people as well as the scholars. But just as I said, you know, if you have issues and people are diametrically opposed in the scholarly world, what do you do? Now, it will not say that because you are not a scholar that you will have the truth. It states here, when aided by the Holy Spirit. And that's what we need, friends. Day by day, we have to plead with the Holy Spirit. And for the Holy Spirit to be filled with this. It is not once a baptism with the Holy Spirit. No, it's every day. What do you say? Every day we have this. And, and unless I have this, I may as well shut up. Because there's no use. Unless I have the unction of the Holy Spirit, friends. I will have no. Oh yes, I may appeal to the mind. But I need to appeal to the heart. And conversion, unless I follow the methods of the Holy Spirit, 
He has no impact on your life. But if I'm in the harmony with the Holy Spirit, something will be accomplished. I have no idea. The Lord says, share and leave the result with him. And so the character of the early Christians. What did the early Christians do? In the primitive church, missionaries were called to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Councils on teachers, parents, and students. 515. Now think about this. The unsearchable riches of Christ. Where are you with all your learning, all your knowledge, even all your Bible studies? Because the Christ is unsearchable. And they are the riches. What a privilege it is. Those simple Christians there in the early church. They were not educated in the Sanhedrin. No. They went with the message and were so thrilled with the matchless love of Jesus. That it was no problem. Now think about it. Are we easily able to transfer a normal conversation into the unreachable riches of Christ? That's what the Lord wants. That's what the early Christians did. They were so possessed of the Holy Spirit that there was no problem for them. The first work of the church were seen when the believers sought out friends, relatives, and acquaintances with heart overflowing with love. They told the story of what Jesus was to them and what they were to Jesus. Interesting, isn't it? But this presupposes a true heart experience. What Jesus was to them. That may be easy to say, if you have the experience. But have you also been able to say what you are to Jesus? Huh? The Bible says, do those things so that people may see your works, your actions, and what do they do? Glorify the Lord. So everything we do, self is gone. Self is gone, and Jesus is there. Impact of primitive godliness. In Acts 2, verse 46 and 47, you see what the preaching there did. I mean, a tremendous outpouring. When the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the early church, the brethren loved one another. Those primitive Christians were few in number, without wealth or honor, yet they exerted a mighty influence. The light of the world sh word shone out from them. And that's interesting here. How do we love each other? Even in this, the headquarters here. Even if we are diametrically opposed in convictions on issues, are we still loving the person? Not what they teach, but what they are. We can never accept error, but the person needs to be loved to death. And they will be amazed. If you are on the opposite side of the spectrum, that you can embrace them as a brother or a sister in Christ. You see? So in other words, in the headquarters, there should be a dynamic of communication that supersedes anything in this world. 
Because that's why you have the headquarters, right? Here you are. And everybody that visits you, do they see this? Or could they come with, uh, oh yeah, you know, there's a lot of gossip going on there. <laughs> of course, you know, I mean, I shouldn't even say that because there's no gossip here, right? Absolutely not. Your heart is a graveyard to gossip. I hope so. Maybe after the sermon. They were a terror. I mean, the early Christians, because of what they had, this primitive godliness, they were a terror to evildoers wherever they, their character and their doctrines were known. For this cause, they were hated by the wicked and persecuted unto death. That is it. So if you are that type of witnesses, Satan will not rest in an armchair. We will go after you. Results of the primitive faith. What was the reaction to this message? The greatest membership growth in history. Acts 2.41, 4.4, 5.14 and 6.7. 3,000. Thousands more. 5,000. And that were only the men. Now you count the women, the children. I mean, you become 10,000, 15,000. Yeah. And it goes on and on. And then finally, Luke couldn't stop him and said, you know, multitudes, multitudes, whatever it may be. That is the result of primitive Christianity. And, well, uh, mentioned here, uh, or the, the critics came then to Paul and said, yeah, oh, hey, they, they turned the world upside down. Now, Jesus could have come about 100 plus years ago, remember? That's what we frequently know. And that period of 100 years, have we turned the world upside down, friends? Have we? If not, why not do it now? Those 12 people, they did it. 12 people. And then they reach every creature. Paul writes in Colossians 1.23, they have reached every creature of the then known world. I mean, you know. So in other words, what, how can you do it? Because they need to earn some living, you know, and whatever. And so they need to support their families. How can you do this? Friends, their vocation was only a means to get food on the table, you know, whatever. And the rest of the time they spent there. Everybody knew what Christians were. And as a result, large-scale persecutions by the Jews, the Greeks, and the Romans. Acts chapter 8, Revelation 12, verse 1 through 6. And Revelation 12, in verse 17, it says that after the great tribulation of the 1260 years, what happened then? Satan is still angry because there's still something left. And now today, he focuses on the remnant. And if he can quiet the remnant, sitting down, you know, doing things that are useful, but not what really should be done, he is happy. He is satisfied. Friends, what are we going to do? Perhaps we need to recapture primitive godliness, primitive faith, primitive simplicity. Call to recapture the spirit of primitive godliness. The problem with many revivals today is 
a wrong conception of the character and the perpetuity and the obligation of the divine law has led to errors in relation to what? Conversion, sanctification, and resulted in lowering the standard of piety in the church. Here is to be found the secret of the lack of spirit and power of God in the revivals of our time. Every year, you know, we have revival meetings. And every year, now five years, does that make a change in our church? Not simply in evangelism, but in heart transformation. Faith I Live by page 326. How to remedy the lack of power in revivals? It's only as the law of God is restored to its rightful position that there can be a revival of primitive faith and godliness <coughs> among the <coughs> his professed people. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see. Ask for the old path where the good way, where is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. Jeremiah 6.18, Great Controversy 4.76. <coughs> and so it is the revival of the standard of righteousness that the Lord wants us to share. The thrill when the early pioneers of the Adventist church looked in the prophecies and saw in Revelation 11.19, the ark in heaven opened and the ark of testimony was there. They realized that now time is running out and soon we will be for the eternal tribunal. Are we ready? Because if we are not ready and don't look to those things that the Lord has instructed his people to prepare us, you know, to stand in the day of the Lord, piety disappears and things become a routine. What was the faith of the Pilgrim Fathers? The Pilgrim Fathers' dream for this country was many earnestly desired to return to the purity and simplicity which characterizes the primitive church. They regarded many of the established customs in the English church as monuments of idolatry, and they could not conscientiously unite in her worship. Great Controversy 290. And so, friends, whatever we do in our own churches, is it a picture of simplicity, of the primitive faith? Or are there many things that distract, many rituals that we have instituted because we think it is nice? Experience of the Adventist pioneers. Keep it before the believers. The experience of William Miller and his associates, Captain Joseph Bates, and other pioneers in the Advent message should be kept before the people. Now, why? Repeat the words of the pioneers in our work who knew what it cost to search for the truth as for a hidden treasure and who labored to lay the foundation of our work. Review and Herald, May 25, 1905. See, what was the sacrifice? What was the sacrifice, friends? Pioneers in the primitive truth. Blessing of understanding the primitive Adventist faith. The standard bearers who have the fallen in death are to speak through the reprinting of the writings to bear the testimony as to what constitutes the truth for this time. The history of the early experiences in the message will be a power to withstand the masterly ingenuity of Satan's deceptions. And those deceptions are powerful. So we need to recapture 
what God did with the pioneers. A unique pioneer's experience. Who will continue the pioneer revival experience? The old standard bearers knew what it was to wrestle with God in prayer, to enjoy the outpouring of his spirit. But these are passing off the stage of action and who are com coming up to fill their places? How is it with the rising generation? Are they converted to God? It's an appeal, friends, to each one of us. Are we the ones who take their places? But if you don't know what they taught, if you don't know the terrible hardships that they had, the persecutions, however will you identify yourself? And so this is a call to redick into the early pioneers and taste how God was working. Friends, are you willing to do this? Are you willing to desire to recapture that experience? Primitive faith experience. The publican and the Pharisee. Here it is. No outward observances can take the place of simple faith. An entire renunciation of self. But no man can empty himself of self. We can only consent for Christ to accomplish the work. Then the language of the soul will be to the Lord, take my heart. I cannot give it. It is thy property. Keep it pure. I cannot keep it for you. Save me in spite of myself, my weak, unchristlike self. Mold me, fashion me, raise me into a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich currents of thy love can flow through thy soul. See? It's not me. I can encourage you to do it, but you say, hey, I can't. And I have to say, I can't. But why do I share it? Because I share what I have to experience in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? That is what we have to call up. What can primitive faith do? And however short our service or humble our work, it is in simple faith we follow Christ. We shall not be disappointed of the reward that which even the greatest and wisest cannot earn, the weakest and most humble may receive. Praise the Lord. Heaven's golden gate opened not to the self-exalted, is not lifted up to the proud in spirit, but the everlasting portals will open wide to the trembling touch of a little child. You know, it is completely opposite of what we think. But that is what God calls us to, to experience this primitive godliness and faith. Christ Object Lessons 404. The center of primitive faith is Christ and his righteousness. The sinner must ever look forward towards Calvary with simple faith of a little child. He must rest in the merits of Christ according to his righteousness and believing in his mercy. Laborers in the cause of truth should present the righteousness of Christ. Evangelism 185. Friends, that can do everything. Everything. Need of self-examination. How to be filled with the Holy Spirit after Christ's ascension. The disciples were gathered together in one place to make a humble supplication to God. And after 10 days of heart searching and self-examination, the way was prepared for the Holy Spirit to enter the cleansed, consecrated soul temples, 
Every heart was filled with what? The Spirit. As though God desired to show his people that it was his prerogative to bless them with the choice of heaven's blessings. Evangelism 3.98. Friends, I want you again to self-examine yourself. And I will give you a few minutes to think I would like to experience this primitive godliness needed for a true revival. What decisions do you make today to experience primitive godliness? What is there in my life that hinders the recapture of the early pioneer experience? And what steps do I make today to take time to experience this primitive faith? And I invite you now, just as yesterday, to kneel down and talk to the Lord about those things and make your decisions today in Christ's name. Let us kneel. Again, Heavenly Father, we felt your spirit moving among us and we thank you for being such a loving God to teach us, to instruct us in the way of salvation. That by looking backward, we recapture the spirit of the early Christians, the Adventist pioneers, and prepare us for the latter rain and the whole loud cry. Oh, Father, may there be nothing in our lives that be an obstacle to that. And when we have emptied through your spirit the wickedness in our lives, fill us with the love, compassion, and grace of Jesus Christ. May the peace of God rest upon you today in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.